Amen. If you'll be seated, if you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 15 today. Started a new series of messages last week called Be Different, Make a Difference. We're looking through, we're going through Luke 16 in this series. Someone asked me last, where do you get your topics for a sermon? Well, we look at a text of Scripture and we preach what's next in the text. And so next week's sermon will be what's next in the text. And so this week we're going to be talking about how to get a grip on money. Food, water, and shelter are things that all of us agree that you need in life. In fact, if you were to go out in the wilderness by yourself, it would not be long before you found yourself in great need of food, water, and shelter. And in our society, we need money in order to help us manage the needs of our life. And so it's important for us to realize that money is not a bad thing. There's nothing inherently evil about money. Uh, But whenever we have an unhealthy love of money or obsession with money, it can lead us to do things which are dishonoring to God. So here is the opening question. When it comes to your money, when it comes to your money, do you have a grip on it or does it have a grip on you? You see, Jesus knew that if you don't get a grip on money, eventually it will get a grip on you. And before long, money will begin to hold you in a headlock. And when it has you in that headlock, money has the potential to destroy your life. As a pastor, I can't count the number of couples that I have sat with who were going through marriage difficulties because they were arguing over money. Frequently within the marriage, One of the persons began spending money or doing it in an irresponsible way, and then it led to a very, very difficult time of conflict within the marriage. There are people that you can look to in the news, perhaps even friends of yours, that find themselves in jail because somewhere along life's path, they began developing an unhealthy love of money, and this led them to do some things that they knew were just wrong, and it wound up coming back to bite them. So in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable. It's a unique parable, as you will see, and it's a parable that he then uses to teach us how you and I can get a grip on our own personal finances. So look with me beginning in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. And so he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you can no longer be my manager. So the story begins with a wealthy man. The Bible calls him a rich man. Now let's understand there is nothing wrong uh, with being well off. There's nothing wrong with having a certain accumulation of money. Uh, be careful not to succumb to uh, this Christian guilt syndrome 
that if you have something nice, then somehow you don't love Jesus, or this judgmental Christianity where when you see another Christian and they have a nice home or a nice vehicle or they go on a, a trip or something, you kind of go, hmm, isn't that nice? You know, if they really love Jesus, they wouldn't have that. You know, be careful not to fall into that Christian guilt syndrome and also realize that People have nice things through a variety of ways. God can bless people through their jobs, sometimes through their family, sometimes through investments, uh, sometimes through illicit criminal activity. I'm kidding about that one. But, but just be careful not to judge people when they have nice things and not to think that just because someone is uh, well off that that means that there's a spiritual problem. In fact, uh, you know, sometimes those people are just really good stewards of what God has given them. All tax brackets, all tax brackets struggle with perspective when it comes to money. Case in point here, we have the rich man and we have the money manager. And the money manager is the one who is struggling with perspective. He is squandering the rich man's assets. And so one day he's doing his job and the cell phone rings. And he looks at it and he says, oh no, this is Mr. Gates's uh, assistant. There's never anything good whenever he calls me. And so he picks up the phone and the person says, Mr. Gates would like to see you. And so the money manager goes up to the top of Mr. Gates' tower and he calls him into his office and he says, I'm sorry, but your services are no longer needed. You are going to be fired very, very soon. So the money manager says to himself in verse 3, What should I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So remember how you felt when you were laid off. Remember how you felt when that job came to an end. That's how the money manager felt. Remember how you felt when your world kind of came crashing down around you and you didn't know what you were going to do and you ask yourself this question, what shall I do? Well, the money manager decides to have a talk with himself. Anybody in here ever talk to yourself? Okay, and you even admit it. Okay, so he has a talk to himself and he says, what am I going to do? He looks in the mirror at his imposing physique and he realizes that he is far too puny to do manual labor. He's out of shape. He wouldn't last a day doing that. And then he says, and I'm too prideful to beg, so what shall I do? Well, he develops a plan. He decides that before he goes, he is going to do favors for his boss's clients so that after he's out of a job, they will think well of him and want to do favors for him. So that's his plan. So before security shows up, before they get his little cardboard box full of his stuff and escort him out, 
he holds a series of meetings. Look at verse 5. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, sit down quickly, and write 50. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Well, you take your invoice, and you write down 80. So you see what he's doing? All these different debtors, he's, he's lowering their debt to the master so that they will be ingratiated with him. And, and eventually, time passes. The money manager is removed from his position, and the owner audits his, his books. In ancient times, it would be auditing the scrolls, you know. And, and he begins to discover what the money manager did. Now, I am sure that the owner was upset, but what can he do? The money manager apparently acted within his realm of authority. He had the authority to make these changes, and he's already been fired. He's already out, so there's not much that he can do to him. And so in verse 8, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted astutely. And then Jesus says, For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. So here's, here's what I picture. The rich man discovers this, and he kind of shakes his head in disbelief. He did what? But he also says to himself, well, i got to give the guy credit. I mean, he, he figured out a way to stay out of the ditch. I mean, he was acting as my agent. He had the authority to do so, and so I'm sure he was frustrated. But what can he do? He was awfully shrewd. Well, now here's where the parable begins to move from an earthly story to the spiritual meaning. Jesus identifies two groups here. If you miss this, you will miss the meaning of the parable. In the parable, Jesus talks about the sons of this age, and he talks about the sons of light. Now, the sons of this age are those that are not believers. They do not see things eternally. All they see is the here and now. And so they're basically stuck in this age, and they live their lives for temporary things that are here today and gone tomorrow. But the sons of light have come to understand Jesus as Savior and Lord. They live within the kingdom. They have a different perspective on life. They understand where they came from, why they're here, and where they're going. And so they live today looking through an eternal lens. What the money manager did was shrewd. It was dishonest. But both the rich man and the money manager were sons of this age. And so they spoke the same language. It was just how things went in this world. But Jesus says the sons of light should have a different view of money and things than the sons of this age. And so he begins to teach us how to be sons of light, how to think differently, how to see our resources differently, how to be different and make a difference when it comes to our money. Three lessons here. Number one, 
understand money can be a tool to lead people to the things of God. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. So what Jesus is getting at here is that we use our temporary money, the the stuff we have now, in ways that it leads people to eternal dwellings. So just like the money manager used money to make friends and ingratiate himself with people so that he'd always have a place to live, Christians ought to use our money so that others might live with us in heaven. Let me give you just a practical scenario. Here's our students. They've been at D-Now Weekend. During the course of this weekend, you guys were challenged to wrestle with various questions. Some of y'all are probably wrestling with the question of, what does God want me to do with my life? What am I supposed to do career-wise? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do with my life? I pray that in least, at least in a few of your hearts that God calls you into ministry. And maybe God calls you into missions ministry. And so you believe that God calls you in that way and you feel the Holy Spirit leading you that way. And so you surrender to that calling. You say, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary. Well, you go to college And after college, you say, well, I want to do this right, so I want to make sure that I prepare myself for my calling into ministry, and so I'm going to go to seminary, and of course, you'll go to Southwestern Seminary, because that's that's where I went, but uh, so you go to seminary, and you take a seminary course, and while you're in seminary, and while you're in college, you go on mission trips, and you volunteer at church and you serve in any capacity that you can find and you try to learn more and more about how ministry functions and then you graduate seminary and by this time you've met somebody and you've gotten married and your spouse also wants to serve in missions and so together you apply to be missionaries and you decide to go through the International Mission Board because they have just a fantastic network of mission opportunities, none like it in the world in my opinion, and so you are accepted by the International Mission Board to be missionaries. Now meanwhile, in this service, there are some business people. There are some people that uh, every day You go to work, you make deals, and along the way, God has been blessing you. Maybe you're a person who invests, and God has blessed you through your investments. And so you find yourself in a situation where you can be generous, where you can give back. And here we come to worship, and the preacher gets up, and he talks about the fact that as a church, we are participating in a mission offering. Well, the business person says, I wish I could go serve on the mission field, but I'm 70 years old now. I can't do that, or uh, I've got responsibilities at work. I, I can't do that, but what can I do? Well, the businessman decides to be generous, and so he or she gives 
a check to the mission offering. And that mission offering is then connected to that student somewhere down in the future. And because of the generosity of God's people, missionaries are able to go out and serve all around the world. Well, fast forward the clock. The businessman dies and he finds himself in heaven. And he's a little surprised that he's allowed in, uh, but he's welcomed in. And so he comes in and he understands that uh, amazing grace is what got him there and that ultimately no one goes to heaven uh, except through Jesus Christ and through God's amazing grace. And so that's where he is. And as he walks into the gates of heaven, he finds himself surrounded by people that were reached with the gospel by these missionaries that he helped resource and sin. That's how we use earthly things in ways that make eternal investments and how we use today's resources in ways that lead people to eternal dwellings. Question for you, are you spending money in ways that makes an eternal difference? Are you spending money in a way that makes a difference for things that last forever? Well, here's the second lesson. Jesus teaches us that when you show yourself faithful with little things, God can trust you with greater things. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, if you're, if you're in school, you need to highlight this and remember this verse. This is an important verse. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? So here we have the money manager. And the money manager was unfaithful with the master's money. And it cost him his job. You say, but ah, he was shrewd, and didn't he work it towards his advantage so that he made sure that he got another job? Yes, he did. But if Jesus were to tell the sequel to this parable, if Jesus were to say, okay, fast forward five years from now, that money manager would be getting fired again. You say, why? Well, because he wasn't managing money. Money was managing him. Guys like this, guys like this, they spend their entire lives trying to get rich and they wind up dying with nothing because they don't really own anything, but they are owned by everything. They're literally owned by stuff. And recognize this, you will always, always always have money problems until you learn to manage the money you have today. For many of us, you could triple your salary and you'd still have money problems. Why? Because you're not managing the money you have today. And so if someone were just to give you triple what you have today, guess what? You would just spend more. You would just go further into debt. You would just continue the problems that you have today tomorrow. At some point, you have to decide, I'm going to get a grip on this. You say, Lash, I don't have much. 
Manage what you have and manage it well. Be a good steward over it. Don't covet other people's lives. Don't spend all your time thinking about, well, if I can just get there, if I can just get here, then I will have arrived. And then if I can get there, then I need to get here. And it just becomes this never-ending chase after stuff. Instead, have gratitude for what you have and manage it well and try to find godly wisdom in what you have. Do not covet somebody else's life. And Jesus begins teaching us this principle that when God sees that you are faithful over what he has given to you, then God knows that he can trust you with more. And frequently this means he begins trusting you with things, not necessarily even in the financial realm, but things within the spiritual realm. God realizes that you are a choice servant who can be trusted and used in various ways to advance his kingdom. Be faithful with what you have and honor God with it. Get a grip on money before it gets a grip on you. Here's a third lesson. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 13. No household slave can be the slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be slaves of both God and money. Now again, nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with having a good job, nothing wrong with having nice things, but if money becomes your master. If you spend your life chasing after things, it will drive you away from the Lord. Money does not make a good God. There are five things, basically, and there's more, but there's five things that you can do with money. Number one, you can pay bills. You can pay your taxes. Anybody looking forward to paying those property taxes? All right, amen. I can, tell, I can tell the enthusiasm there. So you can pay your property taxes. You can pay your income taxes. You can pay your bills. And you're given a lot of written and verbal reminders to do just that. In fact, forget a few of them, and you'll start getting telephone calls all the time uh, reminding you to pay your bills. Ultimately, the focus of that uh, is on me. I, got, I spent money. I, I owe money. i got to make sure that I pay. You can also... Buy things with your money, and we get continuous market encouragement to buy things with our money. Billions of dollars spent in marketing trying to separate you from your money. It's almost kind of creepy these days, isn't it? You know, you're on the, on the internet, and you go to a store, and you kind of look at a product like on Amazon.com, and then 30 minutes later, you're on ESPN and like a banner pops up for what you were looking at on Amazon.com, right? You ever had that experience? It's a little creepy how, how the world kind of stalks you to try to get you to buy things. And we all have to buy things here and, here and there, but whenever we spend money in that way, again, the, the focus is on, on me. I'm getting this for, for me or for my family. Or you can pay off debt. Now, there's not much encouragement in our society to do that these days. In fact, some people think, it's the American way. We just live in debt. And, you know, I can't be out of money. I still have plastic. And so, you know, we just go further and further and further and further into debt. And I actually recommend that you try to get out of debt and make a plan to get out of debt. Uh, but again, the focus there uh, is frequently on ourselves. You can save money. 
Now, there's not a lot of encouragement to do that within our culture outside of maybe your employer wanting you to invest in the 401k, uh, but, but by and large, people don't encourage you to save money. And then there's a fifth thing that you can do with money. You can give it away. You can be generous. You can give it to others. Now, there's almost no societal encouragement to really give away a lot of our money. But whenever we give money away, the focus is not on ourselves. The focus is on God and others. Whenever we give money away, it allows us to be generous people. And I'll tell you something else about becoming a giving person. Whenever you learn to give, it makes a statement that you are not owned by money. You say, well, I don't have much. Give. Learn to give. Learn to give just percentage-wise. When you have little, uh, give a ten, give 10% of what you have then. It may be like a dollar for my kids or somebody like that. But then eventually you, you get wealthy and you, you just continue, you continue learning to give. And whenever you give, it makes a statement that I am not trapped. I am not owned by this. And this does not all exist for me, but I want my life to be connected to others. Just a simple plan. I don't in any way have time to go into a financial management type class with you right now. But this was a simple plan that whenever I was introduced to it, it really helped me years ago. And that is to move from live, save, give to give, save, live. Here's how it works for most of us. When we get paid, then we take what we need to live on. And then once we've spent that, if we have any left, then we say, okay, well, I need to save some. And then once we've done that, then we say, okay, if I have any left, then I'll, I'll, I'll give some there. Well, now here's practically what happens, is we receive our check, and we go out and live. And then at the end of the month, we say, well, I don't have any money to save. I certainly don't have any money to give. And so then we say, well, I'll try to get better next month. And we do it again, and, and the same thing happens again. And we say, well, eventually, I'll, I'll need to change this, but not today, and maybe one of these days, and then year after year after year goes by, and you're 10 years from retirement, and you're still living, saving, giving. And ultimately, you're not saving hardly anything, and you haven't really given anything either. Flip that around. Flip that around. Instead of live, save, give, say, you know what? I'm going to make a change. I'm going to give, save, live. So... When I get paid, the first thing I'm going to do is give. I'm going to give. And, uh, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to take a tenth of my income, and I'm, I'm going to give it before I do anything else. In fact, uh, a lot of us these days, we don't use checks or cash. A few of you I know carry gold coins still. But uh, for the most part, most of us do our currency digitally. And uh, I encourage folks to, uh, you can go to murphychurch.com give. Or a lot of times your bank allows you to do, you know, uh, reoccurring transactions and just set it up that on your payday you automatically give. And so you don't even, you don't even think about it. If you're traveling, you're on vacation, uh, you just automatically give. And it's the, it's the principle of first fruits is what we call it, that the first fruits of the harvest, the first fruits of what we've received, we give. And so now we're a giving person. 
And then we become a saving person. We say, okay, we're going to try to save, we're going to save this much. This is our goal. If your employer will work with you or, or however you need to manage it, but I, I would encourage you to, to have that savings taken out before it ever gets to you. Somehow it goes to the savings account or it goes over here or whatever it might be so that, so that then what you have over here to live on before you ever start buying tacos at Taco Bueno. You've already given, you've already saved, and now you're living. And there's this radical concept called living within your means. And you're living within your means because instead of live, save, give, you are giving, saving, living. Now, to do that, you may have to make some adjustments along the way. You may have to cut back some spending, and you may have to develop a budget or a spending plan, if you like that term better. You may have to get together with your spouse and really work through this. But rich or poor, young or old, everyone in this room has to deal with this issue. Do I have a grip on money or does it have a grip on me? In this church are some of the most generous people that I know. And and I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you on behalf of my my family. Your giving supports my family. I want to say thank you on behalf of the church. Thank you on behalf of missionaries. Uh, We are exceedingly grateful to people like you who faithfully demonstrate generosity and you give. No one forces you to do so. You give, and we appreciate that. Some of us, if, if we were really honest, when it comes to our finances, we've become a son of this age rather than a son of this light. We really look at that aspect of our lives through a very earthly, temporary lens. And so my, my prayer for you today is that you will not live your life dominated by things that have no life. But my prayer for you today is that you will learn to receive the resources and blessings that God brings into your life, manage them with wisdom, give, save, live, be a good steward over that which God has given you. And I want to encourage you to sit down. Sit down by yourself. If you're married, sit down with your spouse. Examine your finances. It's the beginning of the year. It's a good time to do this. Set a budget. Figure out how much is coming in, how much is going out. Use whatever software you need to use, but get a grip on this. Don't let it destroy your marriage. Don't let it get out of control. Get a grip on your money. We can help you with this. We have ministry partners. Occasionally we'll do Bible studies that help people learn to manage their money, and we would be glad to help pray with you and walk you through the steps of trying to get a hold of this area of your life. Every single person in the room has to ask the question, do I have a grip on money or does it have a grip on me? And my prayer for you today is that you will manage your money as unto the Lord. And I know that whenever God sees you being faithful with what He has given you today, that God can trust you with more in the days to come. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as the band comes and we come to a time of commitment.
Hey, listen, I know that this is one of those subjects that people joke about, you know, the preacher that preaches on money. And again, I'm just preaching what, what was next in the text. Jesus talked about it, so we talk about it. But this is practical. This is everybody's life. And for some of us today, uh, right now with your head bowed, you really just need to talk to God. Maybe you need to say something like, Heavenly Father, help me in this. Give me wisdom. Give me self-control. Help me not to feel like I have to be chasing other people's lives. But help me to appreciate what you've brought to my life. Father, help me not to be a selfish person. May I be a generous person. May I realize that I can never outgive you. Lord, help me not to be deceitful. Help me, Lord, to be trustworthy. Help me, Lord, not to covet somebody else's life, but to take what you've given me and to be wise with it. Father, I do, I do pray that you'll provide, that you'll take care of us. And Lord, I pray that within this room that you will use this text of Scripture that we've looked at today to change some families and to change some marriages, to give us a fresh perspective and to help us get a hold of this area of our life so that we can manage our resources in a way that honors you. I pray for that financial freedom that so many long for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship.